Amen. Hey, just before we dig into Jude together, I'd love to give you a little bit of an update. Um, many, most of you know that this has been a somewhat wild and unexpected season in the life of Seven Mile Road. We've been in a season of 40 days of fasting and prayer, and within that 40 days of fasting and prayer leading up to this, a day of celebration as our seventh anniversary. 30 days ago, we became aware that, that 30 days hence would be our last time to be in this facility. So that would be today as our last time to meet here at Joplin Campus, which has been our home over the last several years. And if I'm honest, the last 30 days have been, what's the word? Uh, it's been a roller coaster. It's been humbling, embarrassing even for me as a, as a leader, feeling like a failure in certain ways and, and uh, not knowing what was in store laboring to believe God's goodness and hold on to that while struggling with my own frustration and disappointment. It's not been an easy 30 days. But as we come to the conclusion of that time, the season of prayer, the season of anticipation and seeking God's wisdom for next steps, I, I'm excited to tell you that like, I am overflowing with joy this morning. And there's probably more than five reasons, but I have five reasons to share with you. Just before we, before we dig into Jude, I wanna share with you five reasons that my heart is overflowing with joy today. Um, the first is this. My heart is overflowing with joy because of you. What I have seen in the church, the bride of Christ that in this unique expression is called Seven Mile Road has been beautiful in the last 30 days. The unity and the encouragement, and the resolve, the commitment the source of encouragement and life you have been to your staff and your elders, to me in particular, the texts, the songs that you have sent me that you're worshiping to and that you think might be an encouragement to me in struggling moments, you have been a gift. In a moment that could breed division or frustration, you have displayed the fruit of the Spirit back to your leadership in a way that we don't deserve, but we rejoice in. Like You have been a source of joy. I praise God for this family. It is a gift to participate in this family as, a, as, as my church. Secondly, the second thing that causes my heart to overflow with joy is your staff. The staff here at Seven Mile Road is really amazing and I need you all to know that they have been working really hard. This has not been an easy season for them. We've not been able to go to our offices. We've been couch surfing, trying to find places to meet and to execute on a lot of things that have been challenging in this season. To a person, everyone on your staff has gone above and beyond working really hard to serve this family, trying to generate solutions and understand what God is doing in this place. They've stayed prayerful and aligned and unified and encouraging. They're amazing. I could go through every person. I'll just say, I think, is that Derek? Derek, is that you? Derek's way up there hiding in the back, but that, I can do this for every person, but I'll just say this. He and his wife just had twins. They've been in the NICU and they just came home, yet he and overseeing our gathering and he has worked above and beyond in this season to help organize and orchestrate the move of our offices and our campus. And everybody has worked like he has worked. Your staff loves you and wants to serve you well. Please hug them and say thank you. They've done an amazing job. Three, uh, the church in the city has been a source of great joy to me. I wish you could have been a part of all the conversations and received all the texts that I've gotten to receive from leaders of the church in the city. 
leaders of the Anglican church, the, the bishop and different Anglican rectors in the city have been texting constantly, we're praying for you, we're with you, our resources are with you. Leaders of Episcopalian churches in the city that I've never, never met before, big historic Episcopalian churches. One called me and said, on my off Sundays, I come and worship in the back. And, uh, and we're so for you, we love you. I was like, wow, I didn't expect that. We've never met before, but they're saying like our facilities, we're here, if we can do anything, we love you. Presbyterian churches and Baptist churches and non-denominational churches and black churches and Hispanic churches and white churches from all across the city have been calling and saying, we are for you. And what I was experiencing in this moment of these different churches that even in their own silos are more monocultural, but together what we were going is like, whoa, we're experiencing the kingdom. The church is one in the city by the grace of God. And I have tasted it over the last 30 days in a way that just has my heart overflowing with joy. Like you are, are seen and loved and prayed for by the church in the city. And something we rehearse all the time is that there is one church in the city and Jesus is her shepherd. And I've experienced that, I'm rejoicing in that. The fourth reason that my heart is overflowing with joy is we have somewhere to meet next Sunday. Um, that's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's worthy of celebration. Um, that was finalized about 36 hours ago, so we had plenty of space and time. There is no stress associated with that. Um, God has really provided in a beautiful way. We knew we would have to be flexible in the interim. And the space is going to require some geographical flexibility. For many of us, we'll drive seven to 10 minutes further, depending on where we're coming from. It's north on just off of uh, 610, just north of 610 and east of 45 in a neighborhood called the Near North Side. It is a campus that was given to Ecclesia several years back, and Ecclesia is, is running beautiful ministry throughout the week out of that campus in the neighborhood, but it's never been leveraged on the weekends, and it's going to be available to us for worship. We're gonna be able to keep our worship times at 9 and 11 a.m. in a room that's about this size. So we'll be able to host our people there. We've got great kids space. It's going to be a great interim step. We, we anticipate that we'll be there about 12 months while aiming for and preparing to get back into our geographical footprint somewhere in this larger area around here. That's in God's hands and we're working towards that end, but he has tended to us and we won't have a week interrupted. We will be together next Sunday morning at nine and 11. We're rejoicing in that. The fifth thing, the mission of God moves forward. It does. We've said that the mission has its hands on the steering wheel of this community from the beginning. We exist to embody and declare God's redemptive story to every Houstonian. And I am actually really excited. It's not the way we drew it up, but we are not landing in that place by accident. God is sending this expression of his church to that neighborhood on purpose for a season. And we're stepping into a season that's largely Spanish speaking, uh, marked by lots of need in that near north side neighborhood. And the building that we're gonna be in all week, they host a free daycare, they're doing English classes, they're doing job training for families and for immigrant families that are trying to find their footing in the city. And we get to show up as the expression of the body of Christ on Sunday mornings. And we're not just gonna show up like tourists that are using a space. We're gonna show up like the church, sent to a new neighborhood for a season in hopes that we will be winds in the sails of the ministry that's already happening there. Would you start praying towards that end? We have said we are for every Houstonian. And in this next season, in a new and a fresh way, it means the Houstonians of the near north side. And I believe that God is at work in ways that we can't even predict or see, but we're looking forward to what he's gonna do. And I'm deeply grateful for all of you and looking forward to being a part of it with you. So my heart's overflowing with joy today.
Our God is good, he's on the throne, and he's not left us, he's with us. So towards that end, let me pray for us as we direct our attention to this text. Would you please join me as I pray? Our Father, thank you. Thank you that you are good at every moment. You are acting towards us as your people by your glory and majesty and dominion and authority at every moment. The whole of our lives unfolds within that context and we have experienced it yet again in tangible ways in this season and we bless your name. Thank you, God. And now I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters in this room, not knowing who is in a challenging or contentious or unexpectedly difficult moment in their life. I pray that as we direct our hearts to this text, that you would breathe life and encouragement into this community to know that no matter how dark the chapter that we are in, our future together as those who are in Christ is really, really bright. Increase our faith, open the eyes of our hearts to see this beauty in this text. We need your help even now. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. We come to the conclusion of the series that we've been preaching through this season of prayer and fasting called Show Me Your Glory. We've been on a glory hunt together, tracing the glory of God through the scriptures. And this morning we come to the final couple of verses, the doxology at the conclusion of the book of Jude. Jude is a is a very short epistle. If the pages of your Bible stick together, you just blow right past it. It's just one chapter. And as a letter to the church, as an epistle, it is one of the most contentious in the whole of the New Testament. Jude is writing into a situation in the church that is challenging. It's really hard. It's unexpected. There are false teachers and there's division in the church, largely around human sexuality. The way that John Piper summarizes what's happening in the book of Jude is he says, the people have begun to prostitute the grace of God rather than to praise the God of grace. They say that we will lay hold of the grace of God and twist it into our own means and purposes, but God, we can keep you at arm's length. And as a result, the church is divided. It is riddled with sin. It is struggling, and as a result, the letter is fairly contentious because it's wading into those waters. It's trying to make sense of a really hard moment in the life of the church. And into that space, at the conclusion of that letter, Jude speaks a really exalted doxology, a benediction, a good word over the people. And what he is in essence saying is that in times of contention and challenge, unexpected difficulty, We, as the people of God, need to set our gaze on our future and recognize that it is really bright. The security of our future being really bright speaks back into the moments of challenge and darkness, the chapters of challenge. And Judah is going to speak this word over this people in the midst of their contention, in the midst of their challenge. And so with that recognition, what we are going to see is that because our future is really bright, we can have hope in the midst of all circumstances. We're gonna do two things as we explore that in this text. One, we're gonna talk about what does it mean that our future is bright? What do we mean by a bright future? And secondly, how is that possible? How is it really possible that that's gonna be the case? So first, what do we mean by a bright future from Jude 1, 24 and 25? Let me summarize it in this way. Friend, your future is bright because you have a stumble-free, blameless, joyful experience of God's glory awaiting you. You have a stumble-free, blameless, joyful experience of God's glory awaiting you. 
Let's see if we can make sense of that statement together. First off, you have a stumble-free experience awaiting you. The doxology starts in this way. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. To keep you from stumbling. To, the idea of keeping is thematic in the book of Jude. If we read the very start of the epistle, what we would see is that in verse 1, he was talking about keeping. You will be kept in the Lord Jesus. And as he comes to the conclusion, after having waded through all of the difficulty and the challenge that these people find themselves in, he comes to the conclusion and says, now I started here and I'm going to finish here. Listen, you will be kept. You will be tended to. Specifically, kept from stumbling. Think about it with me. Stumbling is an accidental, unexpected event that's born out from weakness. None of us set out to stumble. We, you know, it's, it's this idea of, I've tripped, I've stumbled, it caught me unexpected. The twist in the road, the bump ahead that I didn't see, it tripped me up and I've stumbled. It is, it's a, a note of our weakness. What he's saying is, I can keep you in the midst of your weakness. This summer, I started reading about the theology of disability in light of us welcoming Cruz into our family and trying to understand what is it that we can come to understand through a scriptural lens about disability in God's eyes. And one theologian refers to all of us as T-A-B, temporarily able-bodied. Temporarily able-bodied. That's actually shorthand within the theology of disability for all people because the idea is that you were born a stumbler. Ever watch a child learn how to walk trying to manage the weight of that head? You know, it's like this, those first steps, they need mom and dad to hold them and to pull them along because our natural state is the inability to hold ourselves up. And incidentally, at the end of life, we return to stumbling. The power drains out of us. Our legs become wobbly. We need someone to hold us. And interestingly, we visit it every so often throughout our lives. A sickness lays us down, a tension, a difficulty. In fact, the baseline of your life is weakness. We like to convince ourselves when young and strong and we've got it all together that I am basically a strong person that can hold it all together. But in actuality, drawing near to disability and to weakness, to those in our community that require help throughout, it helps us become human because it reminds us our baseline is not strength, it's weakness. We are stumblers. That's who we are. And not just physically, but spiritually. We are a people that can't keep ourselves. There's so many unexpected things. There's so many twists and turns where we think we have it all together and then all of a sudden we're like, why do I feel like I can't hold my head up again? Why am I back to the place of my weakness? Because friends, it's our baseline. We need someone to keep us. And what Jude is speaking over the community is, listen, he is able to keep you from stumbling. My dad turns 76 tomorrow and he's had, he's had Parkinson's for nearly 15 years and the one that I, was the source of my strength and support now when I'm with him leans on my arm, leans heavy because he needs help and what I've realized is that we all need to be carried along and what God is speaking over our lives is listen, yes, you are prone to stumbling and yes, I am able 
Interestingly, in this text, he says, I'm able to keep you from stumbling. And those of us who've, who've studied the epistles in the New Testament, what we realize is that so often we anticipate that if we, if we pick at that you, that what we'll find is like the Greek y'all. Usually there's that like Greek plural under it. That's not the case in this text. It's singular. What he's saying is I'm able to keep you from stumbling. Like I'm aware of your weakness and I'm able to handle it. I will carry you. I will keep you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. A stumble-free, blameless experience. And interestingly, it's not keeping you blameless because you're not blameless. You're not kept in that state because you've never been to that state. You were born sinful with sin coursing through your veins. We are twisted in on ourselves and then we spend the whole of our life choosing it, believing that we ought to be the centerpiece of glory. I want to be on the throne. I want God to revolve around me and tend to me rather than making my life about him. And as a result, I'm constantly ripping at the fabric of the cosmos. It's not built that way. Our folly and sin is constantly breaking things and as a result, we deserve blame and guilt. He doesn't keep you blameless. Listen, he presents you blameless. It's a presentation. One of the things that my wife has done so consistently for me for 18 years of marriage that I don't deserve, she speaks about me in a way that is so gracious. She presents me in ways to other people that I don't deserve. It's like she's got this selective memory, you know? She recalls things that I did that were good, and she likes to tell those stories. And beautifully, she doesn't parade before others all the things that are also equally true of me, that are hard to live with, that are not easy, that are not always kind and gentle. But she, she tells my story in such a way, she presents me in this beautiful light, like it is a gospel light in which she presents me. And the truth is, God does that, but infinitely more on your behalf. In Jesus, he doesn't just select to retell the parts of your story that are beautiful. In Jesus, what he does is something materially altering who you are. He cleanses all of those broken moments that have in, incurred guilt and blame. And he says, I will wipe them clean and I will forget them in my grace and I will present you truly blameless in Jesus. You will be kept from stumbling and you will be presented without blame. I'm able, says God. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless in the presence of his glory. Now, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you should feel the sobriety in that statement. Presented into the presence of the glory of God? Do you remember where we've been together? <laughs> The glory of God is the display of his brilliant perfection in every way, in such a way that it's like a consuming fire that is overwhelming. When Moses said, show me your glory, God said, you can't handle it. I'll hide you in a rock and I'll run past. You can see a little bit of it from behind. You can't handle this, Moses, the one that has been called and raised up to Sinai to receive the law. You can't handle this. And when the tabernacle was, was blessed and, and put before the Lord, and the same when the temple was, that when the glory of God filled those places, the priests went scurrying out. Solomon went scurrying out when he, when he blessed the temple because they couldn't dwell in the presence of the glory of God. They can't do it. 
But then, as we're on this glory hunt, tracing it throughout the scriptures, last week seeing the glory of God displayed in the face of Jesus, we come to this conclusion at the end of Jude, and what he says is this, is listen, he's able to deliver you right into the heart of glory. That's your future. It's secure. I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that. I don't know how to fully explain that to you. The best I could do is to engage your imagination and to, and to say, think about every delicious flavor you've ever tasted. Everything that's like delighted you. Everything beautiful you've laid eyes on. Everything grand and stunning that's so big that it kind of makes your stomach turn. Like that moment when I got to the Grand Canyon and I had to stay back here. All my kids were making fun of me because I was like, it's gonna swallow me. If I get any closer, I, I'm just gonna slip right over the edge. It's too much. You think about all of these little things that have been like tastes on the edge of your tongue where you, you can taste it. You go, ooh, glory, like power, beauty. It delights me. It stuns me. That it's all just been little eyedropper drops of water on the edge of your tongue. And one day, we're going to step into a place where we find the overflowing mountain spring that is just glory unending. And it is going to... It is going to cover every part of us, and we are going to say, my soul is content and at rest and fulfilled and delighted only and always forever. What you have tasted in little trickles will be an unending flood for your soul, and he's able to deliver you into the heart of it. Listen, the glory of God being fully expressed like a consuming fire is terrifying unless, of course, we've been kept and presented. To those who have been kept stumble-free, who have been presented blameless, in that moment, the only proper response is with great joy. <laughs> Did you see those words? With great joy. It's actually just one word in the Greek, and it means like eruption, exaltation, like, what? the presence of the glory of God for me, blameless, awash in beauty and delight and fullness and celebration and satisfaction forever. It's mine. All I can do is exult, praise, celebrate. It's the only proper response because it's like the biggest twist. It's that unexpected twist at the end of the story where you're like, I didn't see it coming. I'm sorry to all the Baylor fans in the room, but it's like when, when TCU kicks a field goal as the time runs out last year, keeping the hopes alive, right? No? I just got some shaking heads. That was for Zach Cooley. Um, <laughs> but it's that moment where you're like, defeat is certain. I don't get to access the victory and the joy. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, you're like, but it is. I can't help but shout out. I can't help but celebrate because the most unexpected, explosive, unattainable joy has just flooded into my life. God is able to keep you, to present you into the heart of his unapproachable perfection. Joy. That's what it means that your future is bright. Christian brother and sister in Christ, no matter how dark and challenging and contentious and unexpected the chapter that you are in, that future is yours and it is secure. And if you're like me, that raises a question. 
If you really let that settle on you, it raises a question because what it is is this. We go, how is that possible? I know me too well. I am prone to stumble. I'm riddled with blame and guilt. I'm a professional sinner. Like I've made a habit, I've made a life. I, I know my brokenness, I know my twistedness, and I understand in little inklings the glory of God. And in this moment, on this glory hunt, as we come to the brink and he says, yes, it's yours and it's secure, we're left going, how could that be possible? And the, the doxology of verse 25, the attribution of God, these, these attributes of God that we're gonna celebrate. Listen, the, the way that it works in doxology, when the church together lifts up certain attributes to God and says, these are true of you, those attributes correlate to the actions that he has just accomplished. So if, you, if we were to read through the Psalms, we'd see moments where he's gracious and merciful and forgiving to his people, and they attribute to him mercy. They attribute to him, has said, you keep your covenant, God, who is gracious like you. In this moment, what he has just said is this, I'm gonna keep you and present you and you're gonna experience glory forever. And in response, the church says, glory, majesty, dominion, authority. That's what it took before all time, every moment and forever. Those are the attributes of God that have allowed these actions to be accomplished. This is what it took. So when we ask the question, how could it be the case that that future is secure? It's because he is unendingly, before all time, now and forever, glorious and majestic, and he has dominion and he has authority. Listen, because it says before all time and now and forever, what it means is that God's perfect character is the context within which time itself erupted. Your whole life is encased by the perfection of his character. Just briefly, let's run through these four things that we're attributing to him. This is what was required to keep and present you. The first is this. He is unendingly glorious. Now, isn't this interesting? We're asking the question, how is it possible that we will experience your glory? And the answer is his glory. Do you feel it from glory to glory? It's all been about him. It has been an expression of his perfection. What it's saying is the reason he can guarantee that you will experience the fullness of his glory in and through Jesus is he's saying is I'm glorious and I always have been and I always will be and I'm the termination point. At every moment under your life, what has been pulsing is the perfection of God holding you together. And so with confidence, as you look at the fact that his, glorious, his glory has never weighed, wavered, it has upheld creation, it upholds time, it upholds your story, even now, even in the valley you may find you're in, yourself in, underneath that valley is the bedrock of his glory. His perfection has not wavered. It is unending. We attribute to him glory because what we recognize is that's our only guarantee we know that in this moment he is still perfect because it's the only thing he knows how to be. And then it says majesty and dominion. Majesty means greater and grander than everything else, higher than Mount Everest, deeper and wider and more amazing than the Grand Canyon, bigger than the cosmos itself is the majesty of God. So 
Right? I don't know, it's not even when I'm moving. I was trying to figure out if I'm moving too much. Am I too excited? Uh, dominion. Dominion means power. Not only is he majestic and grander than everything, but he has dominion. He has the power. That combination leads me to, to ask this question. What is it that threatens your experience of joy and wholeness right now? The boogeyman that threatens to tell your story that's hiding in the closet, whether it's sin and brokenness from the past that you're still ashamed of and that you think tells your story. Maybe it's a particular brokenness or sadness in a relation or a situation right now. Something that is threatening to convince you that your story is tragic, broken beyond repair. Into that space where we feel like stumblers that are full of blame, wondering, is this the end of our story? To that, the attribution that we make, knowing that, no, 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 God is able to even to work in this moment, is, listen, he's bigger than anything I'm facing, and he's more powerful than anything that's threatening to me. His majesty and dominion speak a better word over everything that threatens your joy and fullness. He owns everything. He has all power. He is writing a story that is beautiful and good. He has the power to hold you. There's this moment in, in the Lord of the Rings. Do you remember if you've seen it where Frodo has been tasked with carrying the ring of power and it's worn him out? He can't take another step. He's laying on the side of the path saying, I can't, I can't make it. I can't do it. And Samwise Gamgee looks at him and he says, um, he says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And he picks Frodo up and he keeps moving on the path as they're going to destroy the ring. The truth is there are some things that have been entrusted to you to carry, and they're heavy. I'm not saying they're not. And there's gonna be days where you feel like, I can't go anymore. I don't have what it takes. I think maybe my life is a tragedy because of the weight and the heaviness of all this. Into that place, the word that Jude is speaking over a church stuck in difficulty and unexpected challenge, he says, listen, the majesty and the dominion of God say something different. You may not feel like you can carry it anymore, but he can carry you. He keeps the stumbler. He presents those riddled with blame by his grace as blameless majesty and dominion working towards you before all time, right now and forever. And then beautifully, the last word is authority. Did you see that? Glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time and now and forever. Authority means that he always is within his jurisdiction. Ever seen those police movies where like the police show up on the scene and then the CIA, the FBI shows up and there's, it's, it happens in like every TV show, every movie where it's like, you're out of your jurisdiction. And everybody's fighting over whose jurisdiction holds here. When God shows up in your story, there is never a moment where he's out of his jurisdiction. There's no space in your life that is too deep, too dark, too riddled with sin that you feel like God can't step into this, he can't make this right. There is nothing right now that you are carrying that he doesn't have access to and the power to do something about. You don't have to keep hiding, you don't have to keep managing it, you don't have to keep trying to manipulate the circumstances with open hands and with open hearts. You can say, this is certainly under your jurisdiction. You have authority here. 
You have the power to do something about it, and you have the right to exercise that power. Majesty and dominion, authority. And did you see the little phrase right there in the middle? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're asking the question, how can it be possible that he will keep us and present us? How is it possible that the future of our story is the unending glory of God? Listen, it's his glory and majesty and dominion and authority working towards you at every moment through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, hear this good news. Jesus stumbled. He stumbled under the weight of the cross with nobody to hold him up. 2 Corinthians 5.21 makes it clear. It makes it clear that he was made to be sin in his final moments. Your sin and mine was put on him. He died joyless, agonized, separated from the glory of God. It was a blameful, stumbling, joyless, Gloryless death so that you never had to taste it. Your father loves you. He's made a way for you to come home. He has secured a bright future in his son Jesus. He's taken your guilt, he has secured your glory. He has written a beautiful story and your future is bright. I don't know what valley you're in. I don't know what struggle you're carrying. But what I do know is that if you are in Jesus today, it's a good story with a beautiful ending. You have a bright future. And so in the midst of our contentious, challenging, unexpected moments, we set our gaze on the future and in Jesus we say our future is bright. Amen. Let me pray for us. Gracious God and Father, thank you. Thank you for making a way for your children. Thank you for keeping us, presenting us, for securing glory for us. There are so many unexpected twists and turns in each of our journeys, and I'm so grateful that in the midst of it all, you reign supreme, you are able. I pray right now, God, for every non-Christian in the room. Friend, if that's you in this moment, I'm so glad you're here, listen. It is available to you. The bright future, the secured conclusion of your story is available to you, but it is not yours until you are in Jesus. Would you run to him? Trust in his death and resurrection. Believe on him. Trust him with the whole of your life and experience the joy of homecoming, knowing that your future in Jesus is eternally bright. God, we love you. We bless you. We celebrate you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done on our behalf. You're our hero and our hope, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.